Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. your Bibles and open up to Matthew 24, and uh, we are continuing our series that we've been calling Last Days, and we've been in this series now um, for about, this is week seven, and we've got just uh, two more weeks after today, Uh, we'll finish up, uh, it's a nine-week series, so uh, we will finish up this series just here in a couple of weeks. And uh, just a little pre-note, um, uh, after this series, we're actually, starting in May, we're going to be starting a series on biblical family. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've developed that in partnership with uh, Brandon and Drew, our pastor of youth ministry and pastor of family ministry. And so they're going to be helping teach some of those. So uh, anticipate that. Uh, I'm really excited about what's outlined for that series, and I cannot wait to walk with you through that. Um, But as we engage in these last, really, three weeks, today and the next two, uh, we're shifting the tone a little bit. And up to this point, Jesus has been talking with his disciples. Everyone say disciples. And he's speaking with them specifically about what they can expect before his return, before the things happen that he said were going to happen. And he, uh, the questions they ask him really happen in uh, verse 3 of Matthew 24. And then he begins answering those and telling them, you should expect wars, rumors of wars. You should expect persecution. You should expect, fa- expect false teachers. Um, you should expect even to be put to death for the sake of the gospel. All of these things. And then last week, Resurrection Week... We identified that yet in the midst of all of this, there is indeed hope. Everyone say hope. There is indeed hope in the fact that these things are not for eternity and our confidence is sure because of what Jesus has accomplished. And that's where we can hold tight. But now in verse 15, Jesus starts to shift the dynamic of this to really some end times. So we've been talking about last days and he shifts to some end times uh, conversations here. And many times we uh, do a disservice to ourselves by encountering end times theology and shutting down rather than leaning in even more. And ultimately creating a further dependence on the Lord for that which is going to come. Okay? Now, before we dive too much further into this text, I want to start with an illustration, really a picture, to get your mind rolling with this and to develop a need for us to be aware uh, of of an an area where we all need to grow. Okay? Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you would say you like to be in control? Put your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Okay. All right. How many of you like to drive? All right. How many of you find it somewhat challenging to sit in the passenger seat of a car? 
And some of you are making the correlation, okay? Because when I'm in the passenger seat, I, I want to have control, right? I want to be in control. And so I sit there, and some of you have this so bad, you even get motion sick when you're sitting in the passenger seat, right? So how many of you would say, that, I want you to put yourself in the driver's seat, how many of you would say that when I'm driving, I'm in control? Put your hand up if that's you. Okay. All right. I want to walk through a couple of things to determine uh, how much you have control of. All right. So how many of you would say when I'm driving, I have control uh, of the steering of, of where the car goes, the direction when I turn the steering wheel? Okay. How many of you would say I have control over the uh, the acceleration and the braking of the car? Uh, okay. How many of you would say I have control over the radio? And some of you go, it depends on who's in the passenger seat, right? Here's the hard truth. And, and I, I'm not, I can't take credit for this illustration, just to preface this, okay? Um, this is actually an illustration that my uh, therapist gave to me about a year ago. So when I, uh, when I first got back to the Midwest, I was wrestling with a lot mentally, really struggling with some own personal thoughts, some background of stuff that I just hadn't dealt with personally. And so unashamedly, church, I contacted a Christian counseling service and went to therapy for for several months. One of the most strengthening and transformational things I've done in my personal growth. Okay, Uh, there's no shame in that. It's it's a reality that, man, that was so beneficial. And because I did that, I'm able to minister more effectively to you today. Okay. now, side note apart, this was something my counselor talked with me about because I struggle with wanting to be in control, okay? I struggle with being a planner and wanting things to go the way I want them to go. Now, here's the hard reality of the car situation. All of those things I mentioned, you have no control over them. Here's what I mean. At the end of the day, how many of you have been broke down along the side of the road? Okay. Did you not... Try to start the car when you were broken down or want to go where you were trying to go when your car was broke down along the side of the road. The reality of this becomes, even though in my mind, in that situation, I think I have control over all of this. The reality is all I have control over is what I do with my hands and my feet. I can push the button in the radio and yet if the radio is broke, nothing's going to happen. I could turn the steering wheel, and yet if something is wrong with the front end of my car, it will not do what I want it to do. I could push the accelerator or the brake, and yet if either of those things are malfunctioning, they're not going to do what I want them to do. Some of you have had this experience while on the road, and it's terrifying. And probably pretty frustrating. You may have even grown up experiencing your parents getting very upset about losing the control over this. Okay? This even extends further to the route you take to get to your destination. Many of you may take the same route to and from work every day. You may take the same route to and from school. And yet, what happens if I take go to take that same route, and for some reason on that day, there's a blockade. The, the, the road is blocked. Out of my control, right? What happens if there's an accident along that roadway on my way to work? I, all of a sudden, i got to change course and shift what's going on. Now, the reason I say all of this is because, one, I want you to be able to identify that every single one of us at some level has a control issue. 
We have this desire to grab hold and be in control of what's taking place. And one of the most consistent sources of anxiety and stress is loss of control. It's when we want to be able to direct and things to go the way we want them to go, and yet they're not happening that way. And so the first symptom, or the first reality I want you just to acknowledge, is that at some level, I have a control struggle. Now, how does this intersect with what we're going to be talking about today? Well, if you get nothing else out of today at all, I want you to leave here reciting this to yourself. God has been, is, and will be in control in all circumstances for all time. God has been, is, and will be in control in all circumstances for all time. Now I want to read Matthew 24 and we're going to unpack a little further why this is the main idea of this text. And I want you as we read through this to put yourself in the disciples' shoes the best you can to think about sitting there at the feet of Jesus and listening to him teach this, all the while expecting that Jesus was the one who was going to deliver you from the oppression on earth you were facing right then and there. Okay? Verse 15 of Matthew 24 says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No. And never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is. Do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is there, the vultures will gather. Father, as we engage with this text, may you open our eyes to see your sovereignty, your control. May we recognize how little control we have over all that is going on, not only here, but in the last days as we approach end times in the future, Lord, that you have been, are, and always will be in control of all things. Lord, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reality is, as we encounter this idea of God being in control, It comes back to an acknowledgement and a recognition that God is sovereign. Everyone say sovereign. God is sovereign. 
That is, He is all-powerful. He exists on a separate playing field. It's not even close, church. It's not even like, here's the government leaders of the world and God's somewhere up above them like here. It is out of this world different that God's sovereignty extends over anything and everything you could ever imagine. From the greatest the vastness of the universe all the way down to the tiniest atom. God is in control of that. And so when we think about God's sovereignty, specifically here in Matthew 24, what is He sovereign to do? How do we see God's sovereignty played out in Matthew 24? Well, the first, first point of this is that God is sovereign to fulfill His spoken word. God is sovereign to fulfill the prophecies that have been spoken, no matter how long ago they were spoken. If God declared this to be, it's going to be. In verse 15, when Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by whom? By Daniel, right? The prophet Daniel. And what, what is this? What, what is this speaking of? Well, in Daniel, I'm going to give you a couple references here. Daniel chapter 9, and really 24 through 27, paints this picture of the abomination which causes desolation. Uh, Daniel 9.27, it says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Again, in 11.31, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, this, this is something Daniel foretold hundreds of years before Jesus even came to be. And this is proclaimed. And the emphasis here, Jesus speaking about this prophecy emphasizes this huge reality that God is going to be faithful to fulfill exactly what he's spoken to do. Now, an important point to recognize here is that does not mean that God is going to be faithful to fulfill it the way you think he should. Right? He's going to be faithful to fulfill exactly what he's intended to be fulfilled from the beginning of time. Why? Because he's sovereign over that. He is sovereign to fulfill what he has spoken to be. Now, when it comes to this in particular, the abomination of desolation, we, we can get wrapped into this really easily. And I just want to give you some thoughts on this. I want to give you some thoughts and perspectives because you can find a whole array of these. And one of the things I seek to avoid with you is I do not want to be up here and just spout my opinion at you. We have enough opinions in our day. Okay? What I want you to grasp is Scripture. Alright, I want you to grasp what the text says while also understanding some historical framework that fits around this text that can help us understand it better. That's the process of good exegesis of the text, okay? And so, when we're thinking about Daniel's prophecy, what we need to understand is that Daniel refers to a period of seven during which in the middle of that seven a ruler will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Okay? And there are several frames of thought as to what this abomination of desolation is referring to. One of those, some people 
have thought in the past that maybe this prophecy in Daniel was fulfilled in 167 BC when this really wicked guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV abolished everything that was going on within the temple. In fact, he actually decreed that an altar to the Olympian Zeus and perhaps also a statue of himself be erected in the temple. He also decreed that the Sabbath and other festivals were to be profaned, circumcision was to be abolished, that unclean animals were to be sacrificed in the temple. Huge profaning of that which was meant to be kept sacred in light of who God was. Now, the issue with this, one of the issues with understanding this is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, is if it was fulfilled in 167 B.C., Why is Jesus talking about it in Matthew 24 as if it's yet to happen? Okay? Jesus, in verse 15, he says, So when you see... Remember, he's speaking to the disciples here. And this is before... Everyone say before. This is before Jesus died. Before he was arrested, died, rose again, and ascended. Okay? This is before all of that, that he's having this conversation with the disciples. So if this happened at some previous time, why is it that Jesus is talking about it now? And he doesn't just say an abomination that causes desolation. He specifically refers to the one spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Acknowledging that this will be fulfilled in the future. Okay. Now, another frame of thought here that takes that same approach and says this was something Jesus was talking about was going to happen in the future, is there are quite a few people who believe that this was fulfilled in A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. Okay, They believe that that was when the temple was destroyed. This is what Jesus was talking about here. And I'll tell you right now, you can go and purchase... Ten different commentaries on Matthew 24, and you will find many people who argue this position. Okay? Now, I want to just give you a few reasons why, in my own personal study, I find that harder to reconcile. Number one, the abomination that's talked about here in Matthew 24 seems to take people by surprise. In fact, it's right after this where he says, um, when you see... The abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on his housetop not even go down to take what is in his house. If you had an idea this was coming, you're probably going to be prepared for it, right? So it seems to take people by surprise. The reality was, even as Jesus is here right now, the Romans are ruling and governing in this area. And so when... That rulership was placed under the governorship of General Titus and ultimately the siege of Jerusalem started taking place in AD 70. It would not have been a complete surprise that this was happening because they had watched this unfold gradually for years. And that was why even the disciples thought Jesus was going to be the guy to finally deliver them out of that. And... I don't know if you realize this, but the siege of Jerusalem went on for about seven months before the temple was destroyed. Okay, this was not just like a boom, all of a sudden out of the blue, the temple was destroyed. There was seven months of battling that took place before the temple was destroyed. Now, verse 16, another reality here, seems to reveal that people could flee at the time of the abomination. 
But the reality was, is if you do some research on the Roman armies and how they structured, how they would take over full cities, you would understand that they would actually form what's called a siege wall around the entirety of the city so that no one could escape. So how are the people to fulfill what Jesus is saying here? Let the one who sees this take place flee to the mountains, to the hills, when that would have been understood that that's how the Roman army would have done things. Thirdly, the abomination, according to Daniel, will desecrate the temple. And yet, under the Romans, it was simply destroyed. Destroyed even before there was really an opportunity to desecrate it. The visuals in Daniel are very descriptive about what's going to take place. How he will set up and rule in the temple and profane what God had intended to be holy. Second Thessalonians, Paul even talks about the man of lawlessness, who the, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So again, this future language in the midst of all this taking place. And you, you could read in Revelation 13, it talks about the second beast who is really this prophet who uh, initiates and seeks to deceive people into following the first beast, okay? that All of this is happening in the end. And so in the midst of this, I want you to understand all of these factors and wrestle with them, church. Now, my personal take is that this is something that is yet to happen still. It happens in the middle of the tribulation period based on my own study. But I do not want you to simply take what I'm saying today and go, oh, that's absolutely the answer. Because then you're going to have someone ask you, well, why is that what you believe? What is the reason that you say that that's where it stands? You need to be able to answer that question, okay? You, you need to be able to go to someone and say, well, I believe this is where this falls because this, 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 and this. However, I want you to listen to this, church. Your salvation does not hinge on being able to identify the exact timing of these events. Okay? We can have a good discussion and debate about the timings of these things, and it's not a salvation issue. And we need to be really careful that we don't make something a salvation issue that is not. We should be able to dialogue about this and wrestle with this and engage in conversation. And yet at the end of the day, recognize that how these things specifically come to unfold does not change the fact that salvation is only in Christ. And that's where we have to end the day fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on God's sovereignty to fulfill his prophetic word exactly as he's promised to do. Therefore, our confidence remains in him. Not in our wise understanding or comprehension of exactly how these things are going to play out. All right? God is sovereign to fulfill his spoken word. Secondly, God is sovereign, get this, to number the days of tribulation. In verse 21, it says, for then, this is after the abomination of desolation, for then there will be a great tribulation. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. The emphasis there, church, it's going to be worse than anything ever imagined or experienced thus far. And when it happens, it will be worse than anything that's happened at that point. And never will be. 
Nothing will be worse than this period of tribulation in the sense of what it's talked about. But verse 22, but it says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Let me ask you this. Who has control to shift the amount of days of tribulation that take place? You don't. I don't. No priest or religious leader has that authority. In fact, Jesus even talked about this previously when he said, who of you can add one single day to your own life? He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. None of us can. Why? I don't have control over that. I don't have control of when these things come to be. I don't have control over the timing of all of this. God does, and God can even shorten the days of tribulation. He could choose to let them go on and on and on and on and on. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. An inter- interesting observation here that I don't, that you may miss. It's for the sake of the elect that those days will be cut short. What does this mean? It means that during that period of tribulation, there will be followers of Christ here on this earth. And there will be people who come to Christ during that period of tribulation. In fact, Revelation 7 reveals this even further. He says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. He said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And if we go off of Romans 10, how are they to believe if they do not hear? How are they to hear if no one goes and teaches to them? The same is true even in this period of tribulation that's going on and on and on. And in fact, later on in, in, the, in chapter 24, Jesus even talks about that the trumpet call and He will gather the elect to Himself. These people will be saved eternally even when enduring this. Now, there's some speculation as to who the elect are. There's a good amount of uh, text and study that believes that those elect are Jewish believers who have been, they're they're a Jewish remnant that remains for the purpose of bringing other people to the gospel, okay? But understand that it's God who's sovereign over those days. He can shorten them. He can lengthen them. He is sovereign. He is in control. Nobody else on earth is. He's sovereign over all things for all time. Thirdly, God is sovereign to make Himself known. If you look at verses 23 through 28, it cautions the church into listening to the deceptive drawing of false teachers saying, look, he's over here. Look, it's the Christ. He's in the upper room. He's he's out here in the wilderness. Look, look, look. And the word consistently Jesus tells his disciples is to say, is do not believe it. Do not believe it. Why? Verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Picture that. The lightning that comes from the east and it shines as far as the west. You can see it. What does this mean? When the Son of Man comes, it will be visible. It's not going to be some hidden reality that you have to be going, oh, is it happening now? 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 Or, did we miss it? Did we? 
you will know the people who are here when this takes place. They will know without a shadow of a doubt he has come. So often in this season of life, I think we find ourselves looking around for signs and we become fixated on wanting to know all the details of every circumstance and situation. What is that? It's control, right? I have to know everything. This is why we become consumed with social media. I have to know what's going on in everyone's life right now. So much so, i got to check it every ten minutes. I have to know what's going on in the world, so I'm going to turn on 24-hour news channel, and it's just going to stay on all day long. What? Is that, is that helping our issue with control? Is, is that helping us to depend on the Lord more? Or does it really just feed this insecurity and going, ah, I'm just anxious all the time and I don't understand why I have this anxiety and this stress. And what are you, what are you filling your mind with? What are you trying to control that God has not called you to control? Gone are the days when people could go a day without feeling like they need to know all that is happening in every sphere, both here and around the world. And yet, in the midst of Scripture, this glaring reality that God has made Himself known. How? Romans 1.20 says, God's revealed Himself in all of creation so that no man is without excuse. Look around the world. You'll see Him. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God. He's revealed himself in his written word. Even more than all of this, he's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. Long ago, this is Hebrews 1, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Right here, in the middle of Jesus' discourse, He warns the disciples not to listen to the persuasive calling of false prophets who will use their schemes to even, do you see this, even lead the elect astray. In verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Instead, when the Son of Man comes, it will be like lightning. That comes from the east and shines as far as the west. Everyone say, you'll see it. (laughs) It will be known. God did not intend for his disciples to stand around anxiously waiting and wondering if they will miss his return. All creation will know when this takes place. Instead, he called his disciples to live on mission with a confidence that he was sovereign over all that has happened and all that's going to come. He is sovereign. So as we think about these things, church, how do we apply this? How do we apply this 
text of Scripture and understanding the sovereign control of God, understanding He's going to fulfill these things exactly as He's intended to. It's not a mystery to Him. The first one, flee anything. Everyone say anything. Flee anything that profanes the holiness of God with urgency. Do you see what he calls the people to do when the abomination of desolation standing in the temple? He doesn't say, oh, hey, when you see that happen, you may want to pack a bag. You may want to throw some food in there. You know, grab some flashlights, grab some lanterns, throw your sandals on, grab your coat and kind of keep an eye on things because you never know what might happen. No, he says flee. In fact, flee so quickly, you don't even go down to your house to grab something. You leave your cloak behind. You pray that the weather isn't bad and that it's not the Sabbath day. And you go. You get out of there. Now, okay, that's specifically applied to the abomination of desolation. How does that apply to the church? 1 Corinthians 10, Paul exhorted the church. Everyone say the church. said, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Some of you here have idolized media. Some of you have idolized money. Some of you have idolized other relationships. Some of you have idolized your jobs. And I'm right there with you. But the call on the church in recognition of what's been done in Christ is to flee. Flee. Run run away from those things. Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He said, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And he's just talked about the love of money. He's talked about the wickedness that comes so easily. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Second Timothy 2. So flee. I'm going to say flee. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing. Everyone say nothing. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You want a life application verse for this day right now. You memorize 2 Timothy 2.23. And then when you're tempted, I don't care if that's digitally, I don't care if that's in person, you are tempted to engage in foolish, ignorant controversies. You don't do it. You flee from that. Why? Because it does nothing but breed quarrels. And that is not what we're called to in Christ. We are called to proclaim the goodness of the gospel, the salvation that can only be found in the name of Jesus, who died for us, who was buried, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again so that we could walk in newness of life. And therefore, we can have confidence if God himself can defeat death, then my goodness, church, he has control over what's happening. He's never not had control of it. I have to recognize that I don't have control of it. 
the last point of application here. Recognize the sovereign control of God over all circumstances. Say everyone say all. Not just the big ones. Not just major instances. God has control over all circumstances. And not just here. In all circumstances around the world. Some of you may be sitting here today and you're going, man, I hear you, Matt. I hear what you're saying. But the idea of me letting go of control of some of these areas that are just stressing me out right now, it just seems like a mountain that I cannot even begin to climb. And some of you here may need to actually evaluate and go, have I ever really made a decision to trust in Christ? Because that's step one. You're going to walk around and around and around that mountain looking up at it and stressing about it until you take the first step of saying, okay, I can't do it. Of my own power, of my own will, I cannot do this. But understanding that in the midst of that, what I see, God in Christ has already gone before me and has paved the way. He's already made that possible. And it doesn't mean that somehow... You come to faith in Christ and the mountain will split in two and you can walk through on green grass. That's not what I'm saying. You will encounter those mountains every season of your life. The difference is, when you're encountering the mountain, whose eyes are you fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Because when we put our faith in the sovereign God who we know has gone before us already, then it doesn't matter how much further up the mountain seems to be. I know that my hope is secure. I know that I don't have to try and navigate this of my own power, my own will. And some of you need to rest in that truth today. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read several statements. And at the end of each of these statements, I just want you to say with confidence, God is in control. I want you to hear those words I want you to think about as I go through these, even the situation that you're dealing with right now, the most challenging thing you're dealing with today. And I want you to spend this just recognizing and saying to yourself, God is in control of this. So we're going to practice here, okay? I'm going to count to three and I want you just to say, God is in control, alright? One, two, three. When my finances bottom out, And I wonder how I will make ends meet. When I'm facing an injury or an illness and there is no visible end in sight. When I encounter persecution and trial because of my faith in Jesus. When my marriage falls apart. When someone close to me passes away and I feel as though I'm drowning in grief. When the world around me feels as though it's falling apart. God has been, He is, and will be in control in all circumstances for all time. Father, as we wrestle with this truth, may You be glorified and may You use this to strengthen us as Your church as we await for those days that are coming. But may we not do so passively, may we do so actively 
looking to Jesus, knowing that you have already gone before us, knowing that nothing can defeat our confidence, nothing can snatch you out of, nothing can snatch us out of your hands, Father, when we are in Christ. Lord, regardless of the situations that my family here is dealing with today, I pray that we can leave here together declaring the truth that you are in control over all circumstances and you will continue to be control in control for all time to come. I pray this in Jesus' name.